Nodcast number 10. 10. Dees. Dees. And who is our guest today? Well, Mark, can you introduce? I'd like to introduce our, our special guest, Dan, Dan Williams, who's uh, an old friend of mine. Uh, and I've been involved with him and he, uh, with multiple, in multiple places. Uh, he was um, a friend and advisor for those that listen to podcast number one on my air print project when he was at Motorola. And he has an interesting story. I know we're going to get into yeah, yeah, yeah. The, one, the one company that we'll talk about, but Dan, and I know he's modest, he doesn't like this, but I knew Dan when he was at Motorola, and Dan has probably one of the most monster patent walls. He is one oh. of the inventors of the flip phone. In fact, I saw oh, your really? post on it. Right. So how many patents did you have on your wall? 50-some 56, I think. Were there. But who's counting? From Motorola. Yeah, a few others after that. Um, but... You that was the inventor of the flip phone. I was one of them. I was the team. I did the StarTac was the our our, our family of phones. Um, that's when I joined Motorola. But we did quite a few other products after that that were variants of the of the technology as well as the design. Good to see. I heard this morning that they're remaking Razer. Yeah, I saw back. that. Oh, was that the? I was still that have the a box of them in my basement. Was, the, was that the, uh, banana, the yellow banana phone? No, that's the Nokia thirty one ten. Yeah, that's you know, and I'll, I'll tell you guys a story. That cool. um, my son and I were discussing this a few months ago, and I said I just think everyone's tired of the black slab. Yep. And it's just this. It's almost like there's no there's no personality to it. I mean, you got to create personality by putting software into it, but the device itself. Right. And I almost think that that uh, these products, these communication products, are coming full circle, and people want more style again. Well, I, but there's another thing. I think they also Probably want true. less interruption in their life. And if you can, the, the uh, write up on the banana phone is that what yeah. they're calling it? In the journal of the Times yesterday was that this was a was intended by Nokia as a weekend phone, yeah. so you didn't have to be connected. I think it's great. Yeah, and I, I just and again th at that point and the one I was making that you know we we don't have the issues that we had anymore that technology is burdening the design, and that's why we ended up with the you know with the the, I, the iPhone te right. technology, and I think now we're seeing to your point, Dave, and others that people just want more variety and, and style and they want uh, choice. So I'm actually happy to see it. I'm going to go dust off so all my old sketchbooks and so you yeah, can, bring it back. Yeah, it's like owning a yacht, and then you have your dinghy for when you go yeah. for a day trip. Yeah. yeah. So you take your flip phone for the day, and then you leave your. That's interesting. So I, I don't want to talk about your dinghy. Yeah. <laughs> You're not here. So just quickly, we um, for introductions. I'm who Dave. Are you? Uh, yeah, I'm Dave Pausner. You are bang on the microphone. You are. I'm who? Mark Thurman. And you I'm Dan Williams. And Ziad Mukaber with Boston Harbor Angels. I realize we don't really do a lot of that on this. You know, the first few we would Every say Every 10 a lot. episodes we reintroduce ourselves. Yeah, so people know who to though, uh, send bad email to. To you. Um, so anyway, so, so what was the... Um, so did Mark tell you what this podcast was all about? He wants to know success, about... Success, right? Yes, well, success and, and issues that, you know, along the way, journeys that, sh that we can share. I think yeah. the subject is going to be Kanarka, my, right. my, my time at Kanarka. So, what right. was, so what we'll was, talk about that, yeah. but let's, let's yeah, talk yeah. about what he's doing currently also. Oh, that would be fun. Because yeah. I think it's interesting, yeah. if, you, if you don't mind. So you're not Motorola, obviously, now. No, no, I, I mean, that's that or was Google. several moons ago. I, yeah. I left Motorola, I joined Reebok uh, for a brief period of time, where because at, at Motorola, I left to uh, start the advanced product lab at MIT. And that's a lot of where uh, the work I, I met with Mark, and we were doing the beginnings of wear of the wearable movement. That yeah. was two thousand five, six, something 15, like that. Sixteen years ago. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, Paul Fireman and, and at that time Gene McCarthy, Gene was uh, heading up uh, marketing for Reebok, 
had seen a presentation of mine, and they said, I'm "Bring out my wearable here, my, and they my said, uh, earbuds." You know, are you guys really going to do this? You know, we're trying to re reinvigorate the brand at, at Reebok, and we went down there. I, I did, in fact, take the position. Initially, we were just going to be doing some some uh, collaborative work, but Gene was excited to have me join the company. So was Paul Fireman, and it was a nice six to eight months journey into realizing that. Because things are happening in Kendall Square doesn't necessarily mean that they're happening everywhere else. I'm At sorry, which company time. was this? Reebok. 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 It was Reebok. Reebok. And Reebok has now moved. Their headquarters yeah. actually nearby where we are recording. Yeah. They're um, in the uh, in they're the, in the design building. That's right. They call oh, really? it over there. Yeah. yeah, right down here where the cruise ships came yeah, yeah, coming. Building. Yeah, yeah. But r shortly thereafter, um, Adidas bought Reebok, which I think was kind of a big surprise for a lot of people. And they had already really started a lot of their activity and advanced hmm. products in uh, Oregon. And Mark knows at the time my wife was Adidas ill. Adidas or Adidas? Adidas. My wife was ill, and I couldn't do anything to change. So I took the package and said, okay, let's go see what else is out there. And um, I was doing some consulting, uh, working for a couple of consulting groups in Cambridge, and uh, Howard Burke from Canarca approached me. Actually, he was in, he was at a meeting at MIT that I was at, and we started talking, and he was telling me all about Canarca and this wonderful technology, and um, yeah, now we'll get back to Canarca in a sec. So I did work for Canarca for almost f four years, five years. Hmm. And uh, When was this? This was 2000... In five to 2011. Oh, a while ago. Maybe it was oh, 11 perfect. or 12. Right yeah, there. 12. I think is failure. 12. Yeah, it was, it was just. I left just before they they went bankrupt. Um, I and joined another company that Mark and I both knew uh, with Matt Rowney, who was running uh, right, Isabella. And I worked some. Did and some work did some with work you. For us. Yeah. And I worked at Isabella doing uh, children's design products and uh, the family communication products that Isabella was developing. Um, and you know the journey at Isabella, which, you know, which was yeah. all about fundraising and trying to get business to start. Um, lo and behold, we, we acquired a company that at the end uh, ended up kind of acquiring us back. And yeah. they, they shut down the uh, product piece of it, which is what I was doing. Yeah. And so I took a little time off to think, well, what's, what's next? And I really wanted to return to um, the health space. I really thought from the time that I had done this work in wearables, there's a lot of maturity going on. I was realizing there was a lot of intersees between wearables and how this was going to become really part of the way we we looked at healthcare in the future and realized the huge the huge stakeholders weren't at the table the, mm -hmm. the insurance companies the right. the payers the uh, the providers and so i i had seen this opportunity with a company called dentaquest here in boston hmm. which uh some folks know their division or branch as uh, of Delta Dental yep. in Massachusetts, yep. but DentaQuest is the business and the philanthropic uh, research arm of the company, and they're building out an innovation center, which they asked me to come and join the company and help them put together. Where is that based? Here in Charlestown, Massachusetts. Oh, that's great. So, right by the Wind Casino. Right by, right. <laughs> almost yeah. by well, the Wind Casino. <laughs> if that uh, license doesn't get revoked, uh, yeah, be interesting that's to right. See. Yeah. It's in the old by the old Schraff building. Yeah. Um, so it, it's I've only been there uh, nine months. It's been uh, it's been a, it's been interesting to to traverse design thinking in the spaces that I came with came from with insurance and payers and providers and that in the whole in the whole world of what shapes uh, healthcare. So. Even though it's dental, 
Um, most of the efforts moving forward are around integration of dental and medical, and that's the real mm. big opportunity space is that dental is, is not seen as valued for your health, and it's one of the most important values of your health. That if you have a bad situation in your mouth, it can lead to a lot of other disease in your, in your body. It's, it's funny you mention that. So a good friend of ours, uh, and I won't do too much tangentially, is a cardiologist, uh, my wife's friends with his wife, and he did a study, he's a, at Mass General, on uh, the impact of uh, good dental care on, on cardiology issues. Yep, and apparently, there, you know, there's a very strong correlation, and they discovered this by happenstance. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely um, right. And it's diabetes as well that's and, right. and other, other um, autoimmune issues. It's the number one, what people don't realize is dental caries is the number one disease in America that no mm. one talks about. It's, I think, infecting some hundred million people. Well, they knew this for, um, they knew this for dogs because I, I know that uh, for years they've been talking about your dog's dental care leading to early, is it liver or kidney yeah, failure? that's right. And I guess it took them a while to figure out the dogs and humans were similar enough. I would pay money to watch you flossing your dog. <laughs> <laughs> How the, flossing the birds' beaks. At least brushing the teeth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. It's, as Mark said, it's, you know, I've, I've gone through some, some circuitous routes to, but still to kind of bridge where design thinking hasn't been to where it, it could be and, and to, to help make a difference in those spaces. So just, just but with, before you leave that, so where is the innovation or the design thinking on dental? Is it, in, it's not in the patient record side? No, it's, well, it's, it's in both, uh, David. It, some of it's on the, on the benefit side where we're rethinking how we connect with the end user and the consumer. So a lot of more an empathic, more d design-driven solution to trying to reach customers rather than you're just a number I see through a through a screen. And so there's a lot of um, consumer experience design work going on mm. at DentaQuest right now. Um, one of Mark's old friends, uh, Allison Cochran, who's my manager, um, was former CMO at Polaroid and then later at, at Staples. And she's taken the helm and really, you know, with, with me and a few of the other execs, really trying to reshape some of the thinking in the company to be more about consumer consumer-driven solutions, and which I'm really sorry. Is, is akin to design thinking. Well, yeah, so you're using design thinking on a service-oriented business. That's right. And how does that play out, best or better customer service? Well, it, it, the one thing some people know and others don't is that besides the benefits business, we're actually developing a care delivery business. So we are taking the, the bold statement to retain our own providers, our own dentists, in creating what's called the Dentist Quest way of delivering care, which is a very unique model for how they approach dentistry. It's more aligned to what Mark was saying, where it's uh, it's integrated with a lot of medical, health, wellness issues, as well, hmm. as, well as the dental care. So part of that is a journey in becoming um, a branded uh, clinic, where right. they've already had some acquisitions in Oregon and in, in Alabama and elsewhere in the country into what some of the work I'm doing, which is extending that care out into the community. So that's where some of the design thinking mm -hmm. begins to come into how, how do you reach people, how do you provide a, a model of care that's basically built around a dental office and scale it so it goes into the community. And we think through all the research that happens on the philanthropic side of the house, the, the, the DentaQuest Foundation, DentaQuest Institute, that many of the issues are that are why people don't go to the dentist have to do with social concerns. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and so 
trying to understand that. We just completed a research project my team did um, with a, uh, a team in, in Chicago, and it was really all about discovering user needs and just observing and understanding. And so really classic, classic design thinking and application of design uh, ideation uh, in, in the way that we look at things versus the way maybe an actuarial or a lawyer or something. else. you don't think it's the, the picket lines outside the dentist's office, like pro-life would be pro-cavity, <laughs> pro-choice, anti-cavity. Don't you wish they wow. could combine? Don't, don't you wish they <laughs> can, they can combine the, the primary care physician and the dentist? So you go, you spend four hours, you get uh, a cleaning, a full checkup. You're right. You're right. And, and that's and what some of the thinking is. This whole dentist being a completely a other, silo. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it's it's not. It's funny that it's been built that way. Because to your point, it shouldn't be. It should be as important an organ, and they they consider your mouth an organ as your heart or your kidneys or something else. Oh, we just sang. It sounded a little like an organ. <laughs> 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 so you know, so again, from from the Motorola days and Motorola, you know, Motorola wearables, uh, dabbling into uh, what we're going to be talking about, which is on the side of, uh, of, of uh, new new technologies and new for for energy. I've always found myself in a place where it's about change. Something was changing, you know, and, and I like that, and I to apply some of my knowledge and, and thinking where change needs to happen, and it certainly needs to happen in, in medical right now and health and and wellness because all of us are getting older. It's the big rat in the snake, 50, 70 million people who are about Mark to hit. Mark is a snake, yes. About to hit the 60s, you know, and, and so what are, you, what are they going to do? I mean, just yeah. the scale of, of the amount of people will, will cripple the system. So that's where wearables come in. That's where the extended care comes in. So I, I, it's a heat, yeah. before you go on, David, yeah. it, the conversation, Dan, just or the you know, little pieces you yeah. went through sounds a lot like the conversation I had with uh, one of the large top, you know, the top consulting firms, uh, the systems integrator integration firms earlier today, where they're talking about outcomes as a service. That's right. Which is, you know, they're really instead of talking about technology or platforms or anything else, it's really I'm going to I'm going to drive a certain outcome, right. and actually they bill based on shared. Benefit on right. outcomes, which is sort of as it's I were calling based the value-based care. Yeah, so it's it's, it's capitation exactly. is the term I heard in, in, exactly. in the healthcare yeah. world. Yeah. So I thought when um, even rooms. even when we were kids, there were the articles in the uh, old Detroit Free Press, which I um, have read. Yeah, about um, healthcare delivered or, or doctors, physicians of the day back in Greece, yeah. being paid based on wellness and not on. So this is uh, this sort is of back the to the future, in, in, or in the DentQuest way. Yep, the DentQuest way, Dave. Not necessarily to interrupt you. Is, is about yeah. prevention. So you're completely flipping dentistry around because right. most dentistry is driven by providing a service that's about restorative care, and they're trying to say stay well, stay healthy, and and try to build a model f around that for business, which is challenging. As as some, some insurance company said, I think they're testing it in in Scandinavia or somewhere. They would pay you actual money a, a if nice you're healthy. So if you keep your weight at a yeah, certain level, sure. if you don't smoke, they actually give you cash because right. they ran the numbers. It's cheaper to pay people to stay healthy than to pay right. for their care. What I was going to say it was a nice diverse population, but I suppose that's an easier one yeah. to. I mean, <laughs> but well, my, yeah, I mean, again, I this is a different podcast. But you know, yes. my my cardiology friend Ahmed yeah. was saying again, you know, people have to have better. 
uh, lifestyles, yeah. and this is, this would be true. You know, having a better dental lifestyle yeah. from from his standpoint. Yeah, you so know. how do you? I know what I know. We're supposed to be talking about failure, um, but how do you incentivize? Um, how do you incentivize? Because a big part of this equation is customer buy-in right. or patient buy-in. So how do you incentivize that? Is it monetary? Is it um, making it fun to go to the dentist? What do you do? Uh, a little of all. Um, and I think on the monetary side, to the points you guys are making, if, if you buy into this kind of a peer-to-peer solution for staying well, the goal of the insurance companies are to reward you with lower rates, with possibly rebates, even on the dental side, even on the provider side. If the provider is supporting prevention of care, what can we be doing to him to lessen or, or share some of the outcome that we see in savings with the with the provider? How does that work with a third-party payer system? Because dental dental typically doesn't have that third-party payer, right. um, and dental doesn't have it. Medical does. No, so, but Delta Dental is my for yeah, example, we, my, we, my dental insurance company. Yeah, they, I mean they are. So it, well, like that, across. Oh, and so to me, but Delta. Dental. Oh, I'm sorry. So this would be an incentive by the insurance company, and not. Right. So how do you then, because it's still a third player in the equation, doesn't that screw things up? Well, it, I think it presents the challenge of today's challenge, of, challenge course, of today's yeah. model, and this is what we're trying to say: is like the whole the whole of of healthcare has got to shift to this because you you're getting people at the end of life, and you're seeing that five percent of the population sucking up ninety percent of the resources because. We pushed it off so long. Now their care costs immense amounts of money. And so, if you can get on this other plane where you're keeping people healthy from the time that they're youngsters, and you train them and teach them that this is a part of the way life, your lifestyle of good health should be, it saves money. So you're still paying in with insurance, but your output is not as high. If you so, don't mind continuing this, that is. I do, but it's okay. You're yeah, it's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> So I'm here for the crash, yeah. for the failure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go to, go to just, just quickly yeah. on that. Hey, we can go to failure in a second. Because looking for the train wreck. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, the problem is, I mean, you're saying 90% of the cost is at the end of life. Um, how much could you reduce that? Because the bottom line is, I assume babies and um, the elders typically consume more health care per minute of living than anybody else. And no matter what preventative care you give people during their mid-years, it's still going to go up at the end. Is there, an, is there a sense for how much you can reduce that 90% even assuming you apply good health or dental care? I, I guess I don't have a, a straight one answer, Dave, but to, to Mark's point, if that person maintained good health on their teeth and that didn't lead to some of the outcomes from periodontal disease, yeah. which have been shown to be systemic, right? you're lowering the cost of care to some level. Overall, medical care and dental care. And you're right. Like I I said to a couple of people at Denver, I said, we're not measuring the right things all the time. We should be measuring more about, you know, what's happening to the patient. What are the things on the consumer side that we don't generally, or or an actuary or a payer doesn't generally look at right now. Um, And those are the things I think that if you can start to measure and track that over time and see that there is this lowering of cost, because you're applying these models, oh. then yeah, it maybe, makes sense. Dent- maybe the problem with dentists is the pain that you go through when you're a kid, and the noise of the machines. Oh, so yeah. you, it's frightening. You're, uh, you, you, you have to figure something out. Don't go yeah, for. Right. I have to change that. that. My nine-year-old just had a t- 
tough dental experience yesterday. Yeah. Well, they're still, they're still I remember when we were ki- going back to when we were kids that we would have uh, two cavities filled in, in Detroit yeah. with uh, no uh, Novocaine or no nothing, <laughs> which was a little My like... My parents uh, loved me and took me to a dentist with Novocaine. Oh, you had it? <laughs> we didn't. Our guy was straight out of the marathon, man. <laughs> Let's see if you can tolerate this. Speed. <laughs> So, but you're saying it still hurts the kids? Yeah, well, my my little kid, my youngest, is scared of it. It's a different conversation. Yeah. Also, yeah. the parents keep saying, "You're going to be okay. Yeah. Just go to the dentist. Don't worry about this." Yeah. So they're already scared before they no, even know. It's a fear. It's the number one yeah. issue for for why people don't go to the dentist. So, so why? What are we here to talk about? Well, failure. But how did you transition? So, <laughs> so this, is very, very, this is a very <laughs> inartful <laughs> transition. So I had the opportunity to visit with Dan a number of years ago when he was at Canarca. And I was fascinated with the notion that, it, and again, they raised a ton of money, 170 million bucks. They got tax credits from all over the place. Uh, and they had this very thin, interesting, almost like a fabric that film. convert a uh, film, which, and again, having worked at Polaroid for a bit, you know, in the, in fact, they bought a we Polaroid, bought Polaroid plant, factory. You know, it was, it was really a, 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 and Dan will obviously explain it, a solar sensitive film that could be applied in many ways that were cool, whether it's an umbrella or a backpack or clothing or what curtains was, or What things. was the point? So this is, this again, we're talking about so early this, 2000s. Yeah. And so again, so what was that product? What, what was it? Was it was more, it was, it was, actually it was, no, it was mid, it was late 2000s. Yes. Okay. Was, uh, 2005 to maybe 2011. Right. It, it says it was a, uh, uh, they were commercializing UMass research. Um, and the company was named after a sun god in India. In India, right. Surya. Okay, okay, so tell us about the so product. That, so and, the, yeah. it actually won the Nobel Prize for chemistry. It was called uh, organic photovoltaic uh, materials, and it, it and it does just it's a it's a it, what they realized in photosynthesis is it's a spinoff of actually. Of actually oh, I know that. Great, that's like lettuce and leaves are organic photovoltaic. Energy, energy. There was energy being created <laughs> yeah. as photosynthesis was occurring, and so that Alan Heger, who was a uh, professor at uh, UC Santa Barbara, and another professor, uh, Christoph Barbeck from, uh, from I forgot, it's in Germany which university was at, came together and, and invented, or were one of the inventors of what this, this classically called for, uh, organic photovoltaic technologies, and won the Nobel Prize for it. So I'm sorry, so in just, chemistry. just if you're thinking had, uh, they invented plants, or they invented they uh, invented, they, they, they invented the, the, the plastic material. Oh. The, that, that, mimicked, the that mimicked the technology oh. of, of all the, the so, science of So are those what we know of today as photocells or well, photovoltaics you know or what are they? No, they're, they're well, they photos, the photocells of today are made out of silicon. That's what we see all over the place. This was actually uh, a polymer. And that's why they were using, they were working with the uh, University of Massachusetts Lowell, which right. is where the, a lot of plastic research is going on. And uh, they were able to make a, a polymer, which plastics. was yeah, plastics. It was plastics. plastics. It was like just like it was back in the graduate. Sorry, the graduate. Um, I have yes. one word of advice for you, young man. Plastics. plastics. Right. So, so that could have been what drove Howard. I want to go. Exactly. Go exactly. We're trying not to laugh. Sorry. He satisfied his father and mother. I'm going to plastics, mom. Exactly. I'm sorry. So what was the point of these plastics versus silicon? The, the, the vision of the of the company was to 
create energy for the world. And that's, that really was what got my interest when I interviewed with Howard and, and, and Rick Hess. That and the $180 million they raised. Well, no, I helped them raise it. We all, oh, we right. all helped raise the $180 million. But, but Howard was, was really, really good at that. And I think when you can storytell about helping people change their lives by giving them something that is relatively, we thought, relatively inexpensive, like you described, a piece of plastic that you can roll out to give yourself energy instead of a kerosene lantern that was causing not only health issues but you know issues like you know that could be destructive um, in places like Africa and India. So this could be a blanket you would roll out at the uh, right. local picnic or a concert, That's and right. while the music is playing, you have your radio or plugged they, in. They talk about tents. That's right. So oh. or a shirt or a tent. Yeah, or my a my tent. job. Yeah. I umbrellas. Head of, umbrellas. You know, I was both on the business development and the product VP of product development was to do just what you guys are describing. What do we do and how do we demonstrate the value of these rolls of of printed film that we could make that would produce uh, energy from light from wow. sunlight. So it was really magical, Dave, to go to work there every day and think, you know, we're going to change the world. And uh, with the likes of guys like Howard and, and others that were really leading the charge, it wasn't hard to raise money because it was a really noble cause at a time when people really knew that energy was a factor for you know, changing the world and making it a better Plus, place. Plus, I recall raising money back then, at least in the earlier part of the life, was much easier. This was still in the... Uh, yeah, 2006, six, seven, eight. Yeah, I there mean, was, it, money it, was flowing. It was, it was flowing into that sector. Yeah. And that was why there were many right. efforts going on of, of alternate non-silicon-based technologies. And um, and I think that the trick was of the technology, and I don't say it was a failure, it was that other inventions didn't catch up with what were the requirements to keep the photo cell from degrading. Mm. And plastic, as you know, and sunlight don't really get along. Right. It's kind of a natural phenomenon to, that sunlight breaks down polymer. So we had to produce the film and then encapsulate it in more film to preserve it from right. oxid, oxidation. <clears throat> oxidation. Oxid, oxidation. Thank yes. you. Yeah, but that, so that's interesting. Having worked at Polaroid, and we had Sam Leggero do a podcast on the demise of Polaroid yeah. Great podcast. Uh, a while ago. So you remember yeah. my, my friend and partner, Sam. So one of the things that Polaroid figured out was how to build uh, film and they, such that the image was stable if you left it on a car dash. That's right. So it was thermal stability. I think you guys had, you, since you bought the uh, right. one of the Polaroid well, plants. Well, not right. only that, mo uh, many of the Polaroid scientists became scientists at, hmm. at Kanarka. And many, and many, you know, I think the Sam was probably one of the only ones that didn't go. Yeah. Uh, Russ Giudana and uh, right. Stu Spitzer and some of those guys. Yeah, all we, came we, we walked in, it was like old home week for them. Yeah, and there was just like all these people that were in the multi-coding film business now had a new business to go into around around uh, creation of solar oh. film. So somebody came up with this idea in the, I'll say the early 2000s, but before yep. the mid-2000s, and right. decided to build a company around it. How do they decide to build the company around it here? Because it sounds like the technology may have come out of California and or Germany. I think I think perhaps two two vectors. One, um, Alan and, and 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 Howard Burke got together, and Howard was here, and Howard had already established a, quite a few links with the University of Massachusetts, Lowell, as had Dr. Heger, and they believed that you know the confluence of scientists from Polaroid. Right ability to have uh, polymer scientists from Lowell, along with capital markets, was a good place and a good reason to, 
to bring the technology to, to Massachusetts. And I think there was an op- at that time there was a, an openness about seeing Massachusetts um, live and develop a lot of these new technologies and alternative energy. And that was by uh, I think our, our friend uh, Deval Patrick. No, not Deval. It was was, was Mitt. Mitt. Oh yeah, I think Mitt gave you guys a tax credit. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. What were the tax credits like? Do you remember? How do they compare to the Amazon? The offers to Amazon oh, to get no, them? No. <laughs> I mean, I think it's it tiny. was not so much. It, it was probably under three million dollars. Oh, nothing. Were your offices in well, Lowell? Yes, the offices were in Lowell. Mm. Okay. And uh, and we had activity on the campus at uh, at UMass as well as our our uh, facility in. Uh, so were in you a, a startup or? Or you were already in a big company. Like when we were a startup. I mean, we were a startup. You considered yourself a startup. Well, we, we were. When I joined the company, I think they had gone through uh, their A round, and and they had raised quite a bit, quite a bit of money. I think the the B and the C round were the big raises, and um, they mentioned Chevron in that article, Mike. Right. But the big the big opportunity came with Total Oil and Gas out of France, who I believe put in almost forty million. In, in what, out of curiosity, what were the raises back then? It's sort of like talking about dinosaurs, how big they were. And this was a day when everything was larger. Uh, I think there were, th- when I was there, there were three tranches, and, and most were in the vicinity of uh, 20 to 40. That, how was the A rounds? Weren't that the A rounds? What was the A round? Do you remember? Probably five. Or oh, less. so yeah. sort of normal. Yeah. Um, and it, it really got pick- It really picked up when. We had broken through some uh, milestones in the in the world of chemistry and got the got the um, technologies uh, output for for energy to be almost five percent. So this hero cell that they made really drove a lot of what uh, became kind of the standard for. We are competitive enough in producing enough energy that maybe we can commercialize this. So it's 5% is 5% of the Efficiency. sunlight yeah. impinging on this actually yeah. gets so turned out. Okay. I'm sorry, when we drive along, sorry, we, we talk over each other constantly on these things. Um, when just, you drive... Just Dave does it. I do it. I do <laughs> so it too. The is very loose. No apologies, that's right. That's what we do. We let him talk until the end, and then we say something. I'll have you know my phone is ringing, you can't hear it. <laughs> Not you, Gan. Um, when you drive along the pike and you get off and exit 13, there are solar cells. Yeah. Um, what is the efficiency of those? They're now 15 to 22 percent, oh. and mm-hmm. that's this is this is the story of where I think things got kiboshed by a, a, a bunch of issues. Um, like I said, we we were pushing towards getting the efficiency up to make to make the game and the and the model of business work. And how what, how high did it have to be even to compete with solar cells back then? It, it kept it, it really needed to be at ten, I think, to be competitive. What does it mean? Can you explain what? So they what they have is a measure called one sun. So if they take a square yard of, of area at the equator and blast it with with uh, with sunlight for one hour, how much energy is converted? And obviously, it, it's the conversion factors. Uh, what we, what we, how we measure a solar panel. So how much gets converted to electricity versus how much is created heat or just you know reflection or however other other means. So it was low, but in some situations where there was enough area, square area, <clears throat> divided by how costly it was for us to produce it, meant that we had certain markets that were viable. Name some even at five percent. Um, 
portable energy. So a big area for me <clears throat> to create was um, incorporating the t technology into consumer products. Like we had solar bags that had panels on them that would charge your battery to keep your phone uh, lit up. Even back then. Yeah, we, we, we had relationships with uh, three or four bag companies that were, were producing, we were producing panels for And them. the phones back then were flip phones, were they? I forgot, it's a long yeah, time ago. Yeah, flip phones. Uh, Not the old ones you carried around in the big bag. No, that like no, no. Was, no there was early 90s. Like you can get yeah, smart we, with it, a shoe it, phone. There was some of the yeah. beginnings of, of, of Yeah, these of, are early, early. iPhones. I mean, yeah. just before Oh, yeah, iPhones. that's right. Maybe true. Uh, you know, Blackberries. So I'm sorry, so, so taking that to try uh, uh, trying to understand that, would it could if you put it on a tent, would it be enough to charge your phone overnight for you? Well, or not, not overnight. overnight. <laughs> yeah. Well, moonlight, moonlight, <laughs> high efficiency. I should have brought my little piece of, uh, of Kanaka phone. I got it on my desk. Oh, yeah. over, over the course of the day, would it be enough? It's still producing energy. Is it really? It is. It is. A little, little, motor, little uh, Oh, you have it? Uh, photo, no, it's a little photovoltaic. But so, so. so you're, That's great. Can you tell us also, how did you create value along these races? So uh, you just said you improved the chemistry. So... You didn't do anything commercial. It before, wasn't. before you do that, yeah. let me at least get a sense of where the product stood. Because your question is great, but where the product stood in terms of practicality. You didn't ask it, so. Right. Well, no, no, no. So where the product stood in terms of the practicality, then, then sort of. Mark I can up. answer both because yeah. I think that they're connected. And, and, yeah. and to your point, we needed to find markets that m match the cost. We we, yes. we weren't grid we weren't a grid solution. That's what you're talking about when you say right. I see got on 128 and I see all these panels. That's tied to grid solution. That has to be under a dollar a watt to, to be to be a practical solution, where we were maybe four times that cost. And so when we had to look at the markets, we said, well, we can see there's there's certainly consumer, there's commercial viability, and then there's what they called in-building or on-building, and then there's grid. So the more you went this way towards grid, the cost had to go down. So we had early markets where we were selling material for charging and for military was interested in this, for applications on the tents. We did things for, um, we worked with uh, Greg Norman's company out of uh, Florida. Oh, the golfer, yeah, the golfer, and yeah. he uh, he wow. he had the vision. shark or the what the was shark, it, the yeah, kangaroo. The <laughs> we did a prototype uh, with one of his installations at one of his facilities, uh, which uh, down there all the carports are covered. Yes, right. Yeah. So he had this sort of fabric stretch stuff with a company called Sky Shades out of Australia, which he was also an owner of or a partner with, and so we put the material on the Sky Shades uh, umbrellas, and they were juicing power for people's cars, for the lights that were running, they had batteries and the lights would run at night. Why was that a good market versus solar, because traditional would, solar cell, silicon based at the time? Is that something that Because it, the cost oh. was high. To, we weren't, our cost to make our product didn't afford us yet to be in those higher markets. No, but why wouldn't Greg Norman, for example, have, just understand well, your he markets? Well, he couldn't put silicon on fabric. His structures oh, yeah, are made fabric. out of fabric. Yeah, yeah, got it. So okay, so, that's so, what so the application a lot. We yeah. get solar curtains. So cool. where like, you yeah. wanted some flexibility. So now, military, you can roll it up and then take it in your right. back. Yeah, I could. I should have brought some of the pictures because yeah. because um, we worked with Coleman, Coleman uh, Brand Camping Company. We did a rolled out charger. How so, long was it? Uh, it was about eight feet. And so you roll it out not at night. No, but you rolled it out. The day. You actually hung it on outside of your tent. You pulled it down. And it produced energy that you know charged a little battery, or could charge your phone, or your computer. And that was enough to keep your tent yeah. lit at night and keep yeah. the bears out and everything else. Yeah, that was you know. And so, so when you talk about fundraising, 
the fundraising was matching, of course, the vision that we were going to get here, but where we did have some income and re revenue in the lower, more costly markets where we could show the value. And a lot of this, Dave, was about showing that value of that product worked. And so that was just big getting back to what happened. Without that second layer of a polymer to protect the inner layer, right. that became the biggest challenge for the company. Well, these things degraded before they, right. before, uh, how quickly would they degrade? Um, would they last a year? It depends on uh, how strong the sun was, and I'll get to that story in a second. Oh, there we go. So um, we had a big interest through Skyshades and, uh, and this company we were working with in Australia, and they introduced us to um, the folks in Abu Dhabi and where everything is covered. Everything is tent. A lot everything of sunlight is, out there, too. And so we went over to the UAE, and we met with some of the folks there, and they said, you know, we love this, but what we really want to figure out is, you know, how do we, how do we get the en more energy out of it? So they, they were willing to put some dough in. They were friends of Total, because that was the French, uh, <laughs> French oil <laughs> company. company. Um, and Jared and so, Kushner wasn't himself taking he wasn't there yet. Jared Kushner <laughs> we was, went back was six. We went back to, to the drawing board and we said, minutes. you know, what if we invented a, a material that you could put on a, on a piece of glass? And, and we, would, we would, instead of coating it with a solid material, we would coat it in a waffle material. So some of the light came through, but the photovoltaic properties still right. stayed intact. So the scientists got to work, they came up with a solution. Lo and behold, we invented a product that could be sandwiched between glass. And we partnered with a local company here in the US to prove it out, with Asahi Glass and a couple of their compadres down in Florida. And Dave, even in Florida, with that hot weather, the trick was if, was, if, if we could not allow it to oxidize, we could, we could get it to work. Now. We still didn't have huge efficiencies. We were probably three, four percent, a little less because of the waffling. But the Total folks and the Oil Emirates said, "You know what? There's a lot of square footage on our glass towers, and we think just any allow any any allowance of energy savings by using this material could have a high." Just to cut down the sunlight in, it's cutting would, sunlight would, down would, would, and would producing make... energy. So the whole building was a was an energy radius. So what, was it a blanket around the building, or was it just going to be no, incorporated the glass in the glass. shades? No, glass. Putting a panel of glass. And, and, and yeah. doesn't the, having the glass doesn't the glass solve that thermal yeah. no, insulation exactly. problem? Exactly. It solved it solved, it solved the oxidation problem. Oxidation problem. Okay. And mm -hmm. that's when we worked with a company that was in uh, Florida who who made these glass sandwich mm -hmm. panels, uh, like you see with you know with a safety glass. Right. Yeah. Understood that technology. Understood how to do it. And and so I, I guess right around that time, Dave, is when we were we still raising money, raising money on on all these opportunities. And How much were you raising? And, and so every time you invent something, we went back to the you well. You would go back and say, yeah. "Hey, we have a great idea." And what was the well? R and D mode. The well was current investors. Were there VCs involved, or just institutional? Was mostly it institutional. There were so the Chevron. There was um, uh, Konica Minolta. There was Total Oil and Gas. There was one. He had a couple of. Um, they were strategic VCs. partners, or they, they were, were just they investing. Were they were strategic. So they would yeah. get a piece of the, yeah, that's right. the technology. Right. What would they get? Yeah, just out of curiosity, what would they get for their money? They got a lot. <laughs> I mean, towards towards the end, it was, 
you know, we, we as, the, as the core team was, was probably under uh, 10%, maybe 8% of ownership, and the rest was, was being held into the, to the venture team. Oh, I didn't mean it. That so you, dilu you diluted at that point? We diluted, Significantly. Yeah. Right. How about in terms of the ownership or rights in the IP you were developing? Different question, that, right? Well, that, I think that was well, resolved that, in bankruptcy. Well, yeah, well, I mean, they, yeah, they, 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 it was. Well, you spoiled the ending. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, they, we well, thought they succeeded. He said we're using it now. Yeah, he ruined it. Spoiler alert. I remember <laughs> we went to Paris. Wait, it's about <laughs> failure. This thing, oh, obviously, I forgot. The thing died. Okay, sorry. We went to Paris. I mean, we went, and I was part of the team that you know worked with with the Tell team to evaluate the technology and determine if it was a good invention for them. And, and the way they, the way Total looks at looked at our product is they they looked at it as a carbon product, just the way they look at oil. They think they're in the carbon business. Well, isn't it? I forgot that they, they are hydrocarbons, it's right? Hydrocarbon, right. right. It's exactly that. And they said this is exactly in our portfolio. We want to help develop it. We want to help you know promote it. But there's no they, conspiracy that they actually invested and helped you fail. So helped us fail. So, oh, so well, they don't think they us to fail. there was no such thing as fake news back then. Fake yeah. news is new. <laughs> um, so, so I'm sorry. So there's just a small point. They got an interest in the company, but they got no advanced rights on the technology itself. In general, the investors, the strategics. Um, I shouldn't. I, I don't know enough about it, Dave. I think they, there was certainly um, everyone realized that they had an opportunity to be a part of it, if the technology worked. And applied to their own markets, they would be successful. So, think about this. I mean, if Konica Minolta put money in, they're in the film business, right? They they right. had a lot of factories in in Japan with a lot of with a lot of uh, ability to uh, you know to okay. shore up what was a dying film business. Yeah, okay. So, so, yeah. That, that's an important point. And again, for those of us that have listened to the prior podcast, if you listen to the Polaroid podcast, the death of film, the failure of film. Created these opportunities or these needs. Capacity. That's yeah. tons of capacity. Okay, so so you're raising money from every time you come up with and an idle invention. Idle workers. Yeah. You know, further, which is, is bad in Japan. Yeah. So every time you come up with a new invention or a new business opportunity, you went back to the well to raise money to support it. Yeah, because I, I okay. mean, it was costly. Sensible. It was it was a high burn. You know, there we had a lot of you know set heavy, you know heavy scientists and people that had to be paid, but that really wasn't the driver. The driver was. We had a small little uh, lab up in Lowell that was running film that was only about six inches wide. So the print capability was very low. Was it also a Polaroid test coder? And it's exactly right. And, and we X1. we knew that in order to do some of the scaling that we were talking about, we needed to learn how to scale. That was a big issue with the with the investors. Does this scale, guys? And the answer is always yes. Always yes, of course. But what was happening at the same time was Polaroid down in New Bedford was up on was up for sale, right? And uh, there was no there were no takers because who were, who was going to wants a film the film business, right? And it was a, it was perfectly designed pr uh, plant for what we wanted to do, in widths up to I think a yard oh, wide. Yeah. It was you know pretty it massive. Looked like, looked like big paper rolls. Yeah, but they were, it was a polymer. Right. It was exactly a right. So it was a multi-coder. It did it did all the multi-coding. It did all the the drying. It did the rolling. It did the cutting. It was it was brilliant at, at, at fast speed. So, just so big big. I mean, if you so one of so one of the round, one of the later rounds, which because it was part of you know the goal of the uh, of the investors to say show, let us help you scale. And so a lot of that money went into buying the Polaroid plant and 
and then, of course, running the Polaroid plant, which probably end up in the end <laughs> cost us more than the, than so the ones you, we bought it for. You ran the plant. Did you sell anything? Yeah. When we were making those uh, those chargers, I was telling you about out of the out of the plant, while we were trying to figure out how do we get efficiency up and how do we get stabilization down, which was so a you lot did reach the commercial level. Yeah, that's a small, small level. What kind of revenue? Hundreds of thousands, no, millions. I would say. Yeah, under a million a year. I mean, we weren't doing that. I mean, we weren't doing that much. But I mean, investors were willing to go along with this. Yeah. And, and so here's where I think things started to go south. You had um, oil prices going down, I believe, right. at that time. You had the, the, the you had someone, I think, by the name of either Bill Clinton or, or one of the Bush, Bushes cut a deal with China and allowed for some of this technology to be imported with low tariffs. So the Chinese got into the business rather quickly on building standard photovoltaic cells. Not the um, not the not polymer the, Not based. the chemistry, not any of the alternative technologies. And so now where the price might have been, you know, three or four dollars a watt in uh, in silicon, it was down under 50 cents. So it was literally competing with, uh, right. with oh, fossil be- fuel. And, and, mm. and they could make it that quick and that cheap. And, and that, that was a game changer. I that, that was, was a game changer. killed you guys. That was, and then it really started to get to be crunch time for us and any of the other alternative technologies because not only was the window closing, you had a, a competitor coming in at the, grid, at the grid level that were really willing to drop the price and provide the services that seemed to be wanted by the industry. It's cheap solar for, uh, for consumption was you was your technology? Did you consider it to be disruptive, or was it uh, a technology that had its place but wasn't disrupting the whole industry? I think that, I think it was disruptive for the small applications that we were developing energy for, which were these charging portable charging solutions. It would have been breakthrough if we were to do what I was telling you about on the glass and be able to stay in the game and do that because you can't shed skin you can't skin a building with silicon you can't see out of it we were giving people an option for skinning a building with with a power solution that could still act as a window but make the whole building a radiator for why energy. did that not re so jumping ahead a little why did that not remain a viable um, end product even with the chinese imports we were that close, Dave. We, we thought if we could just stay in the game a little bit longer and get the funding necessary to do the glass product, we had a shot at something that no one else was doing. And the investors weren't willing to... What, what year Start. did... Oh, and you, you survived the Great Recession. <coughs> yeah. We were raising money in the Great Recession. And the investors still couldn't put another dime in. They ran out... Of, I guess... I, you know, I think, they, I think there was that confluence of what I said. Will you guys ever get there? You didn't move the needle much on efficiency. You did find a new market, very unique, but yet unproven, that you can do it in all the factors that go into building control, building issues that have to be accounted for. And we, had, we, we, we weren't the market. We weren't in the market um, long enough to be able to prove it out. How, when you when you made, one installation in Florida, <laughs> when you made your pitches for the building, there must be an average building size and number of square feet of windows. How much energy could you produce from the windows of the average building 
that you know would be interesting to know if I were a realtor or a manager. I, I'm trying to think how many kilowatts a, a day it was. It was fairly substantial because even though the efficiencies were low, it was the size. It was this, it was if you had enough area. It's sort of why a tree has so many leaves, Dave. Because a tree is very inefficient, and photosynthesis is a very inefficient process for creating energy. So the tree counts for that by making up lots of square area, right? If you mm -hmm. leave all the leaves out of a tree, you probably cover that, that ground over there. And so we needed to have that kind of solution for a low efficiency product. And so you had these things that needed to all be balancing at the same time while you're still inventing. And I think that's, it was, I don't think we under, we estimated or underestimated the scale of inventing. That really- That was necessary. That was necessary to, to get remember, this David, to happen. With respect to the window question, and I'm just inserting an opinion or an observation, it's not only that you're generating uh, power, but you're also offsetting the cost of, of heating or cooling the building, depending on the season well, the or the winter, location. That wouldn't be in winter, but it might not well, be as useful. You could maybe attenuate AC for, for the, that's yeah. right. But definitely AC. UAE, so if you think, yeah. if you think UAE, UAE you know, Middle East, right. southern southern climates, yeah. it would be a it would be a great boom just to cut back on some of the sunlight. I mean, you, you so, saw it all happen at once. In a it, car. Was, it was you know the market started to shift. It, it was less interest in uh, in alternative solar energy. It looked like the Chinese had nailed it by coming in with cheap offshore silicon. You had oil going down in price, so there was not as right. much interest. It was all these things happening at the same time. You had the cost the cost of operating that plant. Yeah, the, expensive headcount. Yeah, so decisions. But when did you? So you were an R and D company at some point, or at least a piece of the company was focused on research and development. Absolutely. And then there is the commercial side. And there's a point in time where we say, okay, we're going to com go commercial with anything just to start making money. Do you think that point was delayed too long? He, Probably, but I, I'm thinking that, you know, there wasn't, the cost of the business to just do consumer products was too, was too costly. Was too costly. We had a lot of grants from DARPA, That's U.S. Right. Army. I don't know. Did you? We sh I showed you the the, the thread. Right? Yeah, I remember that. And, and you also had state grants. So you had uh, 3.3 million from the state. Yeah. 1.5 1.5 million also from the state. Right. So about so 5 million overall. One thread that keeps showing up in in these podcasts yeah. with Ziad's question is he's convinced he's, that he's waiting for the crash. He, well, he's waiting for the crash. His brakes are squealing. But, but his theory his theory seems to be 500 points. My, my theory seems theory to be seems to be, every podcast. No, it does. It does. His theory is that is that you need to be out in, in the marketplace sooner. And your answer was disappointing to him. I saw him shed a tear when you said that. So what marketplace could you have been? So out this in? is this is a case where he was out well, too early then, perhaps. No, yeah. Wait, wait, but he was wait, 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 we, feasibility. If, if we had if we could keep our Costs down, and we could could have stayed in the game on to, on the consumer products a little bit longer to give the scientists more time to continue to invent. Just one more round. We we, we probably just you know our, our, our overhead was killing us, especially after we acquired the, the factory. I forget what that factory cost a month around three hundred thousand dollars. I think your electric bill was probably it so. Was so let me ask you a question. Yeah. Now now that too? we're yeah. we're doing the autopsy, yeah. If you look back. Was there something if you were making all the decisions that you would not have done? I, I think we probably overshot our, ourselves on imagining that we could be grid capable or what's, what I was been describing as BIPV, build, uh, 
building in, in in building photovoltaics, which was what this whole glass idea was. I think we demonstrated them, and they were good solutions for demonstration. But we really should have kept cutting our teeth on the on the consumer and uh, commercial side, where we could we could actually have seen our our revenue stream go up a little bit more. So we were sort of starving this business because this business looked really lucrative. The the windows, build, the window business. And a lot of a lot of science and costs going into that, and it kind of flipped over on itself. I could you actually? I'd like to know more about the crash itself, the sort of the day to day. Uh, what was happening as you were running out of money, and what were you doing with? Uh, <laughs> we, we do that every podcast. Like, yeah, this is a, a play fun by play. Play. I, uh, play by play as it goes under. Yeah. I, I, well, I guess I don't. Know. I, I actually I actually left before the the, the bankruptcy. Um, he, he, he smelled. He smelled. Uh, smelled death. He heard the footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> That's nasty. No, we. I think we. I, I think he pulled you his can see. Plug. I mean, the discar- It's obviously discouragement because the. You know the. Obviously, Howard and Rick and the. You know the management team, really had to put the pressure on the on the R and D team. And the R and D team. I know those guys felt horrible that we couldn't figure out two things: how to improve the efficiency of the chemistry. And how to stop oxidation, and and we were we we unearthed every imaginable connection, every technology, all of the th- the three M's of the world and others. Everybody wanted to solve this for for Canarca. It was really good to see that kind of effort, but I think more and more people started to realize it's it's this is going to okay, be okay. So ten you, year journey. you got off right. at the stop before the train wreck, so we don't get to get we don't get to hear. Well, about I the, mean, I, I, you know, you're right. I don't have the blow by blow as days as the days went down down downhill. But you know, I stayed in touch with those guys. I mean, they were they were personal friends. Yeah. Um, so I heard a lot of the the struggles. I think Howard was out daily trying to raise still raise. Right. He was trying to raise money right till the end. Yeah. So the uh, article that I keep reading here from the Boston Globe says, on May 23rd, Burke called a company meeting and told employees that Canarca hadn't been able to raise more money and would cease operations. Uh, when so was that? 2012. 2012. 2012. 2012 yeah. May, 20, May 23rd, 2012. Yeah, because I left. Turns off the I joined Isabella at 11. Yeah. So yeah. I was there a few months before. A few months before. What came out of the bankruptcy? Uh, any, anything interesting? I, I, I didn't follow that much, but I know that you know the licensing and, uh, and the technologies themselves were, were the assets. There wasn't much... In the way of the plant, the plant was right. So yeah. I think it was it, the was German no, company acquired the uh, the. It was an asset sale. Yeah. A German company acquired Canarca by buying the German division of Canarca. Right. As I that quickly was, read, scanned it, and read before this. Did that technology show up anywhere else? They're afterwards? still working on it. I, I mean, I, I, Christoph Barbeck is the leading OPB scientist in the world, and that's. Uh, you know, he's, he continues to work on this Organic photovoltaic. Yes. So the the, OPV. the company that acquired it, and I don't know how much they paid, but I'm sure it's far less than the 170 that went into it. Yeah. They probably got it for, you know, pennies on the dollar, but they probably also have a long way to go. Yeah. You know, I believe, I believe Total and, and uh, Karnica had certain rights to, 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 the, to the, the patents and technologies. Hmm. Interesting. And so... So looking back, and that's that's really the area that I'm f- I like to focus on. Brakes are squealing. It's, well, no, yeah, how much money is hurtling down the hill? So if, because we do, we deal with companies all day long, and they ask us for advice, and I keep telling them keep your overhead as low as you can, and try to get to any type of revenue as fast as you can, just as an insurance policy for bad times. I would agree with you. 
I'd also say to you, the business that we were in was wickedly expensive. I mean, science and research at the chemical level is, it's, it's why the guys like Pfizer and, uh, you know, DuPont, are, are, you know, they invent a lot of this stuff because they've got the scale and the capacity, but a small little startup, you know, with a, a couple of hundred people or less, it, it was a daunting task to, cr we, we were literally creating something that never existed. I mean, we were literally creating a new technology and, 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 and breaking the laws of physics, of chemistry, I guess, in doing it because those efficiency levels had to be tricked almost to be able to get them to improve. And these guys are working at, the, at a molecular level to try to make those new bonds. So what would you, maybe it's the same question as yeah, they asked, I don't know. Work. What yeah. would you do in retrospect? What would, if you could have been the CEO or had the CEO's ear in a Jared Kushner kind of way, I waited five <laughs> minutes to mention that, I held off. Um, what would you have changed? I think I would have done what Ziad was saying. I think we, we needed to have more accountability that we had a, at least one of those business areas was viable. That, but, the, that we could have done more in demonstrating the value in the consumer space. Keep going. I will get a okay. response, and, and, and maybe even the military space, which was a lot of interest at that time because they, they were going into Iraq and those areas. But the CEO, I'm assuming, was a bright Oh, yeah. Persons, right guy probably. Semiconductor executive, and he or she, he must have seen these same things and coolly made a different decision. Um, probably wasn't irrational. So the, what I'm getting at, driving at, is this post facto analysis, which is we should have gone to market sooner. We've now had at least two podcasts. This will be the second in a row, if not the ninth or tenth in a row, where you could come back and say, "Well, we should have gone to market sooner." But these CEOs are deciding otherwise. Why would the CEO in Canarca's case have decided not to do what you are suggesting perhaps he should have done? Why did he or she fo he focus on pushing I, I, my, out the... My answer, David, is that the other markets that we were trying to get into had the scale of financial gain that was necessary to support the, the R&D and the research. We couldn't support the R&D and the research by just doing portable Greg charging. Norman's uh, right. tents. So and he if, knew that. He so knew there's that. A, it's a flawed model because it's so expensive you almost want the government to fund well, the R&D. Well, that, that's the Chinese and model. And, 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 and the state government bit. did five, six yeah. million. Right? No, yeah. it's not a flawed model. It's a, it's, a, it's the normal progression. It's that's not like, flawed, but it's a model like, that has a lot of risk because no. unless you which you try to do, unless you target a huge market, the company is not viable. No, wait a minute. So, but isn't what you're... Well, they did what target saw, a huge market. Isn't what we saw happen here exactly what it's all about in the dog-eat-dog uh, -dog world of a startup, which is that most of them don't succeed because invariably each CEO is making the same set of decisions. I could divert my energies and I could work in this area that's not fruitful. I could do custom products or I could focus on the thing that I really want to do and I think my investors will hold out. Well, Mark was counting on that. Yeah. yeah, but also I think there's a psychology piece where they're out to change the world. So doing one backpack that charges a phone is not changing the world. So they had, a, I don't want to call well, it an well, obsession, but they wanted to change the world. No. And, 
And it was, uh, th that was the goal of the company? No, I think that's too easy. You're making it too easy. I think that the bottom line is, going back to what we talked about last time, is most companies simply fail. And just because they fail doesn't mean they've done anything wrong. It's just the natural way. People die. That's the normal way of things. Businesses die. And it turns out most startups die. So it's not that easy to look back and say, we should have done X, Y, or Z. And point of fact, well, one of one famous investors always said, all companies would succeed if they had enough money. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So then, then I mean, even 170 some odd million is a lot of money. Did they not raise enough? That's one question. By or did they spend too much on the Polaroid plant? They would have had another, you know. I, that that I think Mark is a is an accurate statement. I think we went from, you know, from prototyping capability to massive we're, scale. We're, we're going to buy a factory because yeah. it was an opportunity. Right, it, it was because they were buying it out of bankruptcy. So, right. I'm going to argue, and you'd never, you couldn't build that plant in in, in, a, in, in a billion, billion years. years. Right. Okay, so I'll argue that it, this was actually more like what you went through in Airprint, which was our first podcast, I guess, right. and what we've seen with others, which is there's a change of circumstances. In your case, in Airprint's case, That's it right. was the 2008 crash. Yep. In the case of Canarca, it was the Bush decision in exchange for whatever to bring in Chinese <laughs> imports, yeah. and the and the and the the fact that oil went lower, which was probably a decision out of the UAE or whatever. Right. So, well, so maybe that's a theory. So it's external factors. Yeah, external factors are a big deal. My theory is, is different. I say that the companies who succeeded are companies that did not fail. Okay, that's how yeah, oh, Okay, I agree with that. <laughs> Wait, so let me write that yeah. one down. <laughs> companies that succeeded. <laughs> no, but because of a series of decisions... He's getting ready for that, the um, marijuana release here. ...that were made along the way that steered them away from failure. That's, that's the whole... You can't always say, because that's your comfort zone, David, it's always the outside world. It's the economy. It's the recession. It's... How about it's the decisions that the companies did along the way that... I don't buy it. I think that it's luck. It's the, it's the fact that there was not an outside factor. In general, most startups fail, and I'm assuming it's, what, 90% fail. I'm just making I don't know about up. the percentages. I mean, you, you well, look yeah, at the venture capital association. It's like restaurants. Most fail, and, and if we have to look back, there's always a factor um, with a well-run company like Canarca and perhaps even Erva. Um, not Erva, um, with um, Mark's company, Airprint. Airprint. Um, Airprint actually did very do very well with yeah, his um, But with Airprint, most companies fail uh, because of external factors that throw off the otherwise bright uh, CEO's decisions about the ability to continue raising funds and, and the failure to guess that there's an external factor that couldn't be guessed. And so if, if most of them fail, all we're saying is the ones that succeeds were maybe they're the lucky ones. That's all that happened. There's like people who live over 100. Well, they're I, the lucky ones. It's I, not I, yogurt. Yeah. Well, I, you know, for our 10th podcast, I made the top, top three reasons why companies fail. Hold on, hold on. Wait, let's, wait. let's compare Dan, this, because I just did I have a top, no, top but I was going to say, it, gonna say it, something it, isn't profound. it isn't yogurt, because, you know, and if you said, well, I'm going to come out with another yogurt, your risk your risk factor is pretty low. Cause, it's you flossing know, your teeth, right? Well, no. you know, people, <laughs> yogurt exists. We're making something that doesn't exist. I mean, it, it, it that's the that's the magic, I, I think, of, boy, you really you really are going to change the world if you do do this, and, 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 and if you can do it successfully. And I would argue, Zach, that Giving light to people in Africa and India was a breakthrough. Was life changing to, to get out of kerosene and to get out of places where they 
you know, they, they just didn't have there's, any There's no grid. There's no... No, and that they could charge their phone. They could do things. That to us was like, you know, we didn't just say, this is a U.S. opportunity. This was a world opportunity. And so some of those products that we started to do that were just about power, you know, portable power, were, were viable. They just weren't viable for the cost of the company. Wait, but that's the best thing. The cost of the factor. company I was think immense. That, I think that the other, bringing light to Africa and all those things is good things, but I think Adam Smith would say that's what the the uh, fundraiser needs to pitch to make it the investor feel better about taking the extra dollar out of his or her wallet. Well, I'll but tell you, the, end, yeah. I, I, you, we were a mission and margin company, just like just like DentaQuest is, and I really believe that the investors who invested with us wanted to find a, an opportunity for mission as well. They, they Total particularly, I was very surprised mm-hmm. by this giant oil company that how how passionate they were about. You know what they were doing, the humanity and things, and it was, you know, you can say it's a lot of BS, but I don't. I, I sat with those guys, and I, and, you know, we, we worked together. There was a lot of opportunity, in and I think interest in wanting to bring low cost energy to the world, and that was, they saw our product as a possibility of doing that. And but they could have backed it all the way if they. You're right, I mean, and, and I, I was disappointed point, that they. Why the king? Why did they, they do it? Because that was a hedge too. You know, because no, oil argue, prices go down, they want to have a you know. Well, I'll argue the that you can. You can exactly. be no, exactly. It. That's exactly. Yeah. It. You can when you need a write-off. It's nice to do this fun thing. You can go to the CFO and say, no, 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 we're getting a write-off on this, and we're marketing it in X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But when push comes to shove, people will pull the plug on yeah. some important projects that you know it just doesn't matter anymore, like Mark's company. Right. Or the ones that are not revenue generating get. Get pulled first, yeah, and and or they so, see and, that and we were exactly. I mean, the executive team was very senior. It wasn't like a bunch of kids who don't know what they were doing. And I, and I I really applaud that Rick built that team because he had the right people. Right, they were expensive, but you know the the goal was was to get to something that could scale to the cost of the company. Did any of you see World War World War V? Yes, World I've War Z. That. I've seen that. Remember the scene of the dead, the the the, the corpses trying to climb over the great wall. Yeah, true. right. That's those are those are startups. The first quality of any founder is persistence. If you yeah. keep going, that's no, right. that's what well, it sounds like. These guys were ultra persistent, but you had a, a, a top. Number okay, so here's my list. episode yeah. ten. Yeah. Top three. Zion's top three. Does he have to put a card on his head or something? <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's John. And I'm going to start with the third and work my way up to first. Number three, it's lack of funds. Uh, that's only number three. Yeah, number two. Okay, is no more cash. Number one <laughs> is oh, running out of cheating. money. <laughs> it's all about the money, John. <laughs> it's all the I love it. So, all right, so location, location. Yeah, I'll give you my top four, and n- they're not redundant. Number four, bad management, which was not the case here, I don't think. No. Number three, no commercial or market traction. Number two, which we talked about a lot with some of our other uh, guests, external factors. And number one, agreeing with Ziad for the first time, not enough money. Yeah. But I think it's it. what I heard in Canarca was external factors. They raised a boatload of money, but they maybe overspent on the factory in hindsight, but who knows. You had early, early traction in some use cases, 
but the real big use case you need you needed another you probably need another 170 million yeah, we need, to get we, there as i said we needed something to, to we needed a, a market opportunity that matched the scale and cost of the company i have a simple a single a single right. factor for limited to the companies that were well run which is largely other than perhaps your company. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, half, half kidding. So I had a bad patent lawyer. Half kidding. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, I'm oh, yeah, gonna I forgot go, to mention that. I'm going to go with no, external factors. Right I'm going to go with external factors. Okay. External factors. Yeah. External factors. Externalities. Externalities. And bad the, lawyers. But do you... <laughs> well, let me ask you... Yeah, we had a lot of lawyers. It costs us a lot of money. Lawyers are exactly. good. My lawyers are always good by definition. Is, do you regret that experience? Not at all. No. No. I had, I, that was probably one of the most meaningful opportunities that so it was rewarding maybe not financially but in many other ways yeah yeah okay, because of the point i made earlier and i really i'm passionate about this i, I really gra gravitate towards things that are making a difference in this world we should make clear though it was not your 170 million either no you know I, but i lost you know yeah, i was a yeah, shareholder yeah. i guess yeah. you know but and i lost an opportunity to be you know wealthy had that not if that had that happened yeah, like, or you could have been somewhere else at main. Yeah, because yeah. you take a discount on well, your on your uh, on your market salary. There, so here's my my young son. He's 28 years old, and he and he said, Dad, I know you've done these things. You know, you just haven't had the luck. And he goes to WeWork, like he's like employee number 100 or something. And oh, really? The kids got like, she's <laughs> Aussie. Hit the. He goes, yeah. I said, you got that Irish luck. Something happened. I don't know what it is. But well, that's where luck. <laughs> I think your son's okay. proving the every other generation thing. That maybe that's the wrong generation. So he can, at least he can take care of his old man. <laughs> so yeah. Can you take care of his friend, right. Mark? <laughs> so, Dan, thanks. We hit an hour, which is... Well, did we yes, really? thank we you. This was uh, uh, number a 10. Great, great story. Thank yeah. you very much. Fascinating. I'm happy to share it. and. You know, like I said, I, I if if you guys want to continue on the Canarca quest, we certainly you know try to try to get Howard down here. Well, that would be great. Because yeah, uh, Howard could tell you the ending. Oh really? That's what we need. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, so this is a prequel. This will be the odds, the odds, you know, thing. It'll yeah. be the failure porn. Yeah. No, that's right. failure porn. Yes, that's right. <laughs> prime. Well, you know, you know, failure you know prime. I mean, he's he's a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, he's yeah, actually doing yeah. something really cool now with his with his new startup. Yeah, it's um, oh, this would be great. Bring him down. Yeah, we'll get him down. Yeah, great so, be great. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank in. You. I appreciate it.